Jamie Summers from Afternoons with Heart and Humor. Something you may not know about me is I'm really conscious of what I put in my body. So I eat healthy, try to stay as active as possible. That's also why I was so excited when I heard that Dr. Kellum at the Kellum Stem Cell Institute is able to retrieve my own stem cells and place them exactly where I need them most with focused infusions. If you're ready for something more effective and a healthier way to heal, get more information at KellumStemCellInstitute.com. Nashville's 94FM The Fish. I'm Doug, looking forward to spending some time with Dr. Chris Williamson, lead pastor and founder of Strong Tower Bible Church, as they celebrate 25 years in ministry. In addition to talking about the origin of the church, we'll also talk about the Nashville riots, what's going on downtown Franklin with the fuller story, and details about a very special statue coming to the square in Franklin. But first, Pastor Chris, let's talk about the origin. What led to starting Strong Tower? Obedience was was an inspiration initially, but that was also coupled with being burdened. Um, I was working on staff at Christ Community Church uh, there in Franklin, and they had a heart for the low-income community, which happened to be primarily African-American, which was not far from their church, so they wanted to be obedient to reach out to Jerusalem. But being a majority white church, 3,000 strong, they felt that their outreach was limited in what they could do in that community, so they hired, they wanted to hire a man of color. And so that's where I came in. I came to Nashville for music. I was a Christian rapper. But because those people were praying, I lost my record contract. (laughs) And uh, next thing I know, I'm on staff at Christ Community, and I'm working in that community, uh, the low-income African-American community, and just developed a burden, a burden for them to shepherd them and their parents. I was working with students first and then ministering to their parents. And then being on staff at the church at Christ Community, I would preach from time to time, and then there would be white people who would randomly say to me, if you ever start a church, we'd be interested. So um, I just saw what God was doing, and I, I decided to follow and join him in that work. And uh, and that's how it's been ever since. I didn't start out to start a multiracial church. Uh, I didn't even want to be a pastor, but I just saw what God was doing, and he burdened my heart, and I just said yes. And uh, and I try to give him my yes every day. It goes a lot better <laughs> when I give him my yes. Uh, but sometimes I fight him and I resist him, but I'm so glad I said yes. I didn't know what I was getting into with that. I don't think any pastor knows what he or she is getting into, but, uh, but wow, it, it, it has been worth it. It's been, it's been challenging, especially here in the South with the racial um, issue, but it has been truly worth it. And I remember, because my wife and our family were members of Strong Tower for a little over 11 years, and I remember you talking about uh, even some of the opposition that you faced, even from the African-American community, about trying to start something that's diverse. Unfortunately, yes, uh, true. And, and, and I understand some of their thinking. Um, they were suspicious of the white community, and, and there was justification for that in, in many respects in terms of times – and when the white community would take advantage of the black community, or they would go into the black community and minister to the children, but not to the adults, mm. uh, that they would take kids out of the community and take them on the white campus or take them to a, ca- a camp and then bring them back. But when those kids would get in trouble in school or with the law, 
um, they weren't calling the pastors of Christ community. They were calling those black pastors mm-hmm. in that community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so those pastors had a right to, to be suspicious. Um, so I don't hold anything against them. When, when I came on board, it looked like it was window dressing. It looked like they were just trying to bring a token along, mm. but that's not what it was. And, and in time, my works proved to be uh, that, that, I, that I was true, but I wasn't really working for their uh, approval. Again, I, uh, I understand, I understood their mindset, but I was working for the approval of God, and eventually many of them got on board. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but they, 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 they thought that, and one of them said specifically, Doug, he said, be careful, son, what you think you're doing for God may be building blocks for the devil mm. in terms of my desire to bring black and white and rich and poor and left and right uh, together in, in God's house. He was saying I could be working for the devil. Mm. Now, um, I can't find that in Scripture anywhere. <laughs> if anything in Scripture, I find Jesus praying in John 17 that his people would be one, as he and the Father are one. And and the beauty of it is we can be one without having to be the same, that we can celebrate our differences, that unity does not mean uniformity or conformity, um, but it is truly celebrating diversity and difference in the midst of unity. And that's what I've tried to preach and live for 25 years. And it has been amazing and certainly something um, uh, to give accolades and, of course, praise to God for 25 years of Strong Tower and 25 years of you in the senior pastor position. What what do you feel are some skill sets or equippings or something to be able to mark that milestone. It's one thing for a church to go 25, but for the same leader to be there for that entire time. Um, any thoughts on that? Wow. Oh, man, I feel like I'm talking to a therapist right now. <laughs> probably, I need a little bit more of that. <laughs> because pastoring is not easy. Um, many, many a pastor has struggled from sheep bites. Mm-hmm. And uh, Moses is one. You know, from the beginning, Moses was rejected by the people. They didn't accept him as their leader. And so many times along the way, they wanted to get a new leader and go back. And uh, they, 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 there were many uprisings against the guy who, who was used by God to part the Red Sea and to turn the Nile to blood. Mm. There were people who had problems with him. <laughs> you know, the guy who spoke to God on the mountain and got the Ten Commandments. They had problems with him. So uh, I I tell young preachers, cheer up. Uh, (laughs) It's going to happen to you. Just expect it. That's just the way that it is. Uh, But Moses even, you know, struck the rock out of anger and frustration. On one hand, he's the most meekest man on the face of the earth. He's very humble. But on the other hand, you know, he, he, he becomes angry. And, and he sends, you know, this guy that could kill an Egyptian with his bare hands. So, um, it, it, yeah, just just letting God mold me. There have, and I think it's good for the people to see the transformation of the shepherd. Mm. That I didn't start this where I am now, and where I am now, I'm still far from arriving. So I am in process, just like the people. And there have been times I have tried to quit the church. Um, there have been times I've been dissatisfied with church, just like the membership. Mm. There have been times I've, I've struggled with God. I didn't, I, I, you know, 
not knowing his will, his his methods. So, uh, yeah, it's been a journey for me and my wife. But I have learned, I'm like some of them old preachers now, <laughs> that you just let God be God. And, and, and you just kind of sit back a little bit and let things play out. In my earlier years, tried to fix a lot of things, had my hands in a lot of things, um, doing a lot of things. But now I spend more time sharpening my axe than trying to just swing and chop, chop, chop a tree down. I know if my axe is sharp, I don't have to swing as much. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just not, see, that's that old school stuff. <laughs> so yeah, man, uh, just, just learning how spiritual warfare works. Yeah. That the enemy will, will usually counter whenever God makes a move, the enemy will counter that move. And so to not think it's strange, as first Peter says, when the fiery trials come to not think it's strange when one week they Hosanna you the next week, they crucify you mm. to not take it personal to realize that, man, these things happen when you're trying to serve people and fallen people in the fallen world, and you're falling yourself. So you just try to give grace um, and just apply it to yourself and give it to people, and you keep moving. You know, these are God's people. They're not mine. It's not my church. I'm just an under-shepherd. These are his people. So that's another freeing thing, that I don't have to be the Messiah. You know, when John the Baptist came on the scene and they said, are you the Messiah? He said, I am not the Christ. Mm. And to remind myself, I only work for Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I can't do miracles. Um, I can pray to the God of miracles and watch him do it. But I can't do it, uh, no matter where people are in their journey, because God is invisible, but the preacher's in front of me. So preacher, fix this. It's like, I can't fix this. And, And freeing myself up. So, yeah, a lot of lessons, man. Sound like I need to write a book. (laughs) Another one. Come on now. (laughs) (laughs) I would be remiss if we didn't touch on this a little bit. And that was, I mean, certainly the heartbreak that the entire country has felt as we have been rocked by this racial unrest. And I will never forget now my wife and I watching the the footage from Nashville and the, the courthouse on fire and all of that. Um how how can we do better? We can grow from this, right? We can make a change? Absolutely. We have to. Um, as people of faith, we are people of hope. We have a positive expectation of the future. And as bad as things are, they're not as worse as they once were. You know, um, and so when we think about where this country was to where this country is, yes, we still have a long ways to go, but it's not where it was. And my ancestors survived the horrors of the Middle Passage. My ancestors survived plantation, uh, slavery, chattel slavery, and every horrible, uh, unimaginable thing that comes along with that. They survived being set free in 1865 with little to no support at all from the federal government in order to better themselves and live a life in the land. Uh, We got through segregation. Um, So I know we can make it through these times. The country can. But if you notice, a lot of those changes that occurred in our country, they occurred because the oppressed spoke up. Mm -hmm. They occurred because the oppressed gave the oppressor wisdom. It was Frederick Douglass who met with Abraham Lincoln who encouraged him to uh, employ uh, uh, former uh, slaves into the uh, uh, United States Army 
to become United States colored troops. So when those 186,000 uh, uh, slaves joined the army, that helped propel the North to victory. And, and if you keep on moving up the way historically, um, it was the voice of black people. We go, of course, to Martin Luther King and the things he heralded and spoke to in terms of this dream and this beloved community. And I just hope and pray that, um, that the country, especially the church, will listen to the descendants of marginalized people as we cry, like, like as Ezekiel talks about, uh, being watchmen. As we speak, I pray that they would listen to us. But unfortunately, just like in times past, we are not usually listened to in the moment, but they will say much later, boy, they were right. I, 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 you know, because right now I feel like a voice crying in the wilderness, but my white brothers and sisters don't listen. Mm. When we talk about ways we can move past reconciliation into repair, how to repair this. Um, but, you know, I know we got to keep having the conversations, but, but the conversations have to lead to some action. Some, some new policies, you know, with police reform. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, because this thing, it just keeps happening. And, and it has always happened. But as um, it has been said, it's just being filmed. Mm -hmm. and, and the trauma, Doug, yeah. that it produces. I have a young man in my church who cannot sleep ever since he saw the murder of George Floyd back in May. Mm. And he can't sleep at night. Mm. He's uh, 14 years old. Um, I have children asking their parents, you know, what's going to happen to me if the police pull us over? Dad, I'm, I'm concerned for you when you go out in the streets. And it shouldn't have to be that way. And so we have to, you, you, can't, you can't correct a problem if you don't admit there is a problem. And right now, too many of our brothers and sisters in Christ want to gloss over the problem, don't want to hear how, who, who is directly affected by these systemic problems. Uh, and, and I just hope that more lives and blood don't have to be spilled before people really want to listen, wake up, and do something. But I will keep preaching till I die. I will keep telling the truth until I die. And uh, and whether one or one thousand listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a truth teller, and I'm gonna do it in love. Even though I get branded as being an angry black man, I'm far from that. Uh, yeah, I can get angry at sin and turn the table over like Jesus, but man. We've got to let it be known. This is not right. The Bible says in Proverbs, speak up for the voiceless. You know, we have a we have a responsibility to speak up for those on the margins, those who don't have power, access to the table. Uh, so, man, these are exciting times. We are in a human rights movement, whereas my, my dad was in a civil rights movement. Now his son is in a human rights movement. And, man, I, I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I'm on the right side of history. Mm, and I mm. pray that more people will will make that decision to be on the right side. Well, I have always found you very eloquent, very balanced, very knowledgeable, and certainly whatever I do from my little side of things to uh, to amplify that message, I know that you would also uh, agree that relationships are key, and I think a lot of times the white community can look at the problem and, first of all, be overwhelmed by it, not understanding it fully, but then I think they have to look inside themselves individually and say, well, what do I know? What relationship do I have with anybody who's different? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and not only relationships, here's the kicker, people that you submit to, people that uh, you learn from, people that you voluntarily place yourself under, mm. because typically it's just not like that here, you know, in the South, in this country. Um, 
I can I cannot go a day without somehow coming across white people and needing something from them in various institutions in the country. Mm. Um, if I go to the bank, if I go to the grocery store, um, nine times out of ten, I'm dealing with whites in leadership. But white people, they don't have to come through the black community mm. to live their lives. Mm. They don't have to submit anywhere unless you're intentionally and purposeful to do that. Um, and so I'm always blessed when white people like your family will place themselves under my leadership and uh, and stay there when it gets tough mm-hmm. and, and contribute the way your family uh, did for, for 11 years. That That's the way it's supposed to be done. Um, and so, so, yeah, so when white people say, man, I don't know what to do, well, um, it might tell on the fact that you don't have relationships with peers uh, or with people who are over you to know what to do in this time. So how can I intentionally move my feet so that my heart and my mind can change? You know, Peter didn't want to minister to the Gentiles. He really didn't want to minister, even though he walked with Jesus. Even though Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to the world, make disciples of all nations, he stayed with the Jews. And God had to send him a special vision (laughs) to get him into Cornelius' house. So when he's in this Gentile's house, that's when he says, I now realize that God is no respecter of persons. Wait a minute, bro. You walk with Jesus. (laughs) And and you're just figuring it out now? Mm. And this is at least 10 years after Pentecost? And you've done miracles, raised the dead, and you still don't get this thing about uh, racial justice and, and unity in the kingdom of God. But I tell you, he would have never figured it out if he wasn't in Cornelius' living room. And sometimes I, I encourage white folks, get out of your white world, which is the majority, and intentionally put yourself in black spaces and places and listen. Oh, Lord, and hmm. listen. And I tell you, a change of feet can change your heart and mind. Ah, that'll preach stuff. <laughs> Come on, baby. Come on, Pastor Chris. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you have opportunity to be involved in a myriad of things, and so when I see your name attached to something, uh, it it, it perks my attention because I'm like, this has to be of value and of merit. Um, Talk a little bit about your involvement with with the Fuller Story Project and what's going on in downtown Franklin. Yeah, back in 2017, um, really following up from when um, Dylan Roof went into Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and killed nine innocent black people at a Bible study. He was motivated not only by the spirit of Satan, but also by the spirit of the Confederacy. Mm. He was um, a white nationalist, white supremacist, and, uh, and so he went in and killed those people. And then following that, you had um, what happened there in Charlottesville in terms of the, the insurrection, the riot that occurred there, and uh, a white lady, Heather Heyer, losing her life, being killed, run over by, again, a white, white nationalist. And so that hit our community uh, because we have a Confederate monument in the center of our town. And initially, we were emotional when that happened. And the first question we had was, how do you take that thing down mm. that's been in Franklin since, uh, what, 1899. Mm. How, how do you take that thing down? But uh, cooler heads prevailed, 
And uh, we prayed, and, and, and we got together. Uh, myself, Hewitt Sawyers, Kevin Riggs, and Eric Jacobson. Eric is a historian in town with the uh, Battle of Franklin Trust, and the other guys are preachers just like me. And we've known each other for over 20 years and worked together, served together. So it was a natural thing for us to come together. And, uh, and, and the Lord downloaded into us a different vision rather than trying to take that down what can we put up around it mm. to provide a context that has not been told or or, edu- or, or, or shared in our community? And, and I'll stop and say this. There are monuments that do need to come down, and they need to come down the right way. Um, but our particular monument, because it's not a specific person like Nathan Bedford Forrest, mm. Jefferson Davis, whomever, it, it represents the, the Confederate dead. Um, and so we felt like, let, let's just tell some stories of um, slaves who were sold on the auction right there at the market house, which was attached to the courthouse in the center of Franklin, which most people don't know that story. Mm. And if they do, they don't want to tell that story. Um, and, and then also to tell the story of an uprising that happened um, right there in front of Mellow Mushroom. It was blacks and whites, Democrats and Republicans back in 1867. And then, of course, the story of the United States Colored Troops. And we're going to next year unveil a statue, one of the few statues of a United States Colored Troops soldier in the United States. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll stand right in front of the historic courthouse, where, which was the second courthouse. And it was in that place that escaped slaves would go or even through the Emancipation Proclamation, would, would, would come from all through the area to come to Franklin, because Franklin uh, was the county seat. And, and that, that courthouse was occupied by the Union Army when they had taken Franklin, and they set up a provost's office in the basement of the courthouse, and the slaves heard about it. They would go there and get authorized in that courthouse in order to join the, the federal army. So that history needs to be told, not just about how we were enslaved, but also how we fought mm. to, to end our slavery and to, to try to unify the country. That those stories, you know, when, when blacks are criticized as not being patriotic, and I beg to differ, we, we, are, we fought in every war in this country, mm-hmm. from Christmas addicts and the revolution all the way to the present, we fought. And so we do have a right to take a knee to protest when things are unjust in this country. So, uh, so yeah, so the fuller story, um, money, the money was raised. Uh, we, we found an African-American sculptor. Uh, so it, it's on, man, it's on. So, so next year, hopefully during Juneteenth weekend, mm. we will dedicate and unveil this historic statue, which, by the way, someone just asked me, will it be 30 feet high like the Confederate statue? And the answer is no. Um, it will be down on the level of the people mm. because this man fought for the people. And uh, and you will be able to take pictures with him, stand near him. Um, and although it'll be on a base, it would be no higher than probably seven feet. You'll still be able to see his eyeballs, look him in the eyes, and see his dignity, his value, his personhood. And uh, it's going to be a great day. So there will be representation on the square in Franklin. And that will be one of the things that will keep our city from uh, 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 falling to a revolt. 
because when there's representation in the city, you don't have to worry about people going to, to, to tear it or burn it down. But right now, there's only, there's only been one form of representation, and that is the Confederate soldier. Um, and, and, and now, coming soon, will be a black man on a place of equal nobility. Um, and, and, and here's the deal. Again, some, some statues need to come down, but right now, this one needs to stay up because we need to learn this history, mm. this history that, that many times ha- has been brushed over, lost cause, narrative has tried to take the teeth out of slavery and, and, and make the, the whole antebellum period seem so benign, but we've got to tell the truth. And I think these two statues will allow us to wrestle with the inequities and the in- iniquity of our past while also saying, man, let's make it better for our children. Let's learn from why there was a war. Let's learn from why the Confederate flag is so controversial to one group and, and why one group seems to think that it speaks of their heritage. Let's talk about this as civil people. Yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, man, I didn't mean talk that long, but you're talking to a preacher. You can edit this later. That is good. No, that is awesome. No, that is awesome. That's got to be that's got to be a proud moment to be able to be a part of a community and affect a change. I know you've never you, you've never run from a, I say run from a fight, but run from controversy or or no. other things. So I have I have, you I got ultimate respect and love, Pastor, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, thank you, man. And uh been able to also be on a task force in Williamson County to deal with the Confederate flag that's on the upper upper left-hand portion of the seal, the quadrant, the upper hand. Yes, yes, that uh, came back. That, that's coming That's coming down, right? That's being removed? Was yeah. That? Okay. Yeah. Um, um, there, there are a couple more votes that needs to go through with the uh, county commissioners, and that will be coming up here shortly, uh, where, where they will take our recommendation. There, there was a team of nine mm. diverse thinkers, we all agreed over a space of about six weeks working together or more that um, in unanimity that the seal, that, that the Confederate flag on the seal needs to be removed. Mm. And so it was good to be able to get to that place. Uh, it, 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 was, um, it was tough at times, as you can imagine, as we were talking. But again, um, truth, um, being civil, and honest, uh, uh, led us to this place of uh, agreement. And so we'll see. It's in the hands of the commission now, and I hope they'll make that decision to remove it and replace it with something that's more redemptive. Okay, that was going to be my question. Is it just a matter of, because it's behind a cannon, so do you remove it and just have the cannon, or you think of maybe that it w- a flag would be replaced with something else? Well, I, I don't make that decision, uh, but, but if I gave my opinion, it would be, to take away the cannon, take away the flag, and put something else there. In that quadrant, some okay. Have, uh, mm-hmm, some have proposed um, the Natchez Trace Bridge, but I like the Harpeth River. Um, one of the members of my church uh, presented that idea to me of the Harpeth River because it spans across Williamson County. It, it goes all the way back to the indigenous people mm, groups. Mm. Um, it also you know, affects tourism because it's a beautiful place at different parts of it. Um, and and, 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 and a, a girl from my church, as a matter of fact, an African-American girl at Centennial High School, a local high school, designed it. And I, 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 I presented that to the group. 
So we'll see when they start taking ideas. Okay. But I think the river, um, you know, can, can, can be a, a symbol. We want things that will bring us together. Yeah, yeah. Not things that will polarize us. Pastor Chris, this is this has been awesome. I appreciate the time. I got nothing for nothing but love for you and Darina and the family. It's so cool to see uh, how God is using her. And you've got the uh, hard bargain event coming up and her books and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah, and she's she's got more books coming out. So yeah, God's blessing her. And uh, man, but but I can't leave without thanking God for you, my man. Um, you've been a friend, and you have also used your platform to talk about these things, uh, to bring me on many times, you know, to deal with stuff, and not just in Black History Month, but you would bring me on to talk and to share and to to share with your audience. And I've always appreciated that, respected that. But above all, man, you've been a cool dude, man, a cool (laughs) dude. (laughs) I I appreciate that. Love you too, Pastor Chris. And uh, just so I put it on my calendar right, what was the first Sunday for Strong Tower? The official start date was September 3rd, but we're celebrating all month because you don't do 25 every day. Oh, sure. So we're no. <laughs> celebrating every month. And last Sunday, which was the first Sunday, uh, Natalie Grant, who was one of my first secretaries, she and her husband, Bernie, led us in worship uh, mm. virtually. Awesome. Oh, my goodness awesome. gracious. Oh, boy. I tell you what. And then my, my mother gave a video tribute. My family in Baltimore gave a video tribute. My kids. And so they, they have videos prepared every week this month. And then on the 20th, they're doing a drive-through at the church. Not a drive-by, <laughs> but a drive-through where they're going to throw gift cards at me and Darina and shout love to us. And That's awesome. So we, we're, we're, we're here to receive it, brother. We're here to receive it. That's awesome. It. Well, Pastor, thank you for the time. Thank you for everything over these years. I miss you, so uh, I I need to do something about that. So thank you. Yeah, man. Well, I'm here if you ever need anything, and thank you again for thinking of me during this time.